This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, they say 13 is an unlucky number for some, but certainly not Liverpool Football Club. I'm Guy Clark. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo as we get set to look through a number of historic wins that fall on this day, the 13th of April, including Nottingham Forest, Juventus and Manchester City. We'll also look at a possible solution to concluding the Premier League season, as well as talk about what could happen to Jurgen Klopp's very first signing. To do that alongside me, our uh, three fine gentlemen, and we'll start with our chief Liverpool writer, Ian Doyle. Doyle, I like the uh, book choice behind you this time. For those listening to the podcast, it's Ron Burgundy. How are you, mate? Yes, okay. He is, of course, one of my heroes. <laughs> Stay classy <laughs> and all of that. A man who certainly always stays classy is Joe Rimmer. Joe, how are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. Does Doyle have many leather-bound books? <laughs> <laughs> I do love a Guy Clark intro, by the way. It's so, it's so slick. He almost makes us sound professional. It's good. Mm. Well, that is the aim. And Matt Addison's also with us. <laughs> Matt, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, mate. There's always a, a few comments as well about your uh, your headphones as well. I don't know if you've seen those in the, in the YouTube comments, but uh, you might want to reply to a few of those. Yeah, do, do you feel threatened by the fact that Joe's got a pair on as well now? No, you like a pair of hardcore gamers. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to uh, to have have everyone in in headphones, but you know it, it is what it is. I, I've switched them up from the initial pair I was using. I, I got claimed uh, that I was coming in from the, the 1950s, so hopefully these ones are a bit up up to date, and those watching like, appreciate these a bit more. You look like you're just about to take off. <laughs> well with all of the flights that have been suspended for the time being i am in charge of air control around here so yeah it's uh it's one of the bits i'm doing on the side anyway we'll get into all of the issues we've got all of what i just mentioned and more to come on this edition of the blood red podcast but one thing i have to say right at the top lads i wanted to be doing this in my garden sun's absolutely shining down it, it should be a football weekend, the Easter weekend. Unfortunately, we're we're still in a position, Joe, where there is no action. Uh, no, no, there isn't. Um, I think we're going to be this way for a, a number of weeks yet, um, or months maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame, isn't it? You know, I think we're all used to Easter weekend, a bit of footy, and um, yeah, just sort of twiddling our thumbs, sitting in the yard, and going for little walks, taking the dog for more walks than he's he's ever had. So yeah, it's um, it's it's not great, is it? No, certainly not. But I suppose with obviously the virus and the condition that the nation finds itself in doily, there was one person in particular who was affected over the course of the weekend that really probably would have hit home for a number of Liverpool fans. That, of course, being Sir Kenny Dalglish. She was asymptomatic, thankfully, but released a message yesterday as well, which, which basically reaffirmed it to Liverpool fans to keep your common sense about you and stay safe and stay indoors. Well, yeah, it's the message that everyone's being sent, isn't it? Just to look after themselves, look after each other. And the best way to do that is by staying at home and, and, and not going out to be other than when you have to. Uh, I think the thing about Kenny was interesting is that he ended up coming out and saying that he had gallbladder problems, which my dad had them. And I can tell you now that that's pretty agonising. So there was a very good reason why he had to go into hospital and get that seen to. Certainly if it, it was the infection. But you know, as his statement said, he was... Surprised at unexpected diagnosis that he actually was was suffering from the uh, from the virus. You say no symptoms, so he's uh, thankfully was released on Saturday lunchtime. He's gone home. He's in self isolation for the next week, and we can only wish him well. 
Yeah, certainly, and we all obviously echo that here at the Liverpool Echo, but we'll get into footballing issues then. And Matt, today, the, the Times reporting that the FA might be coming up with a solution that includes both the National Stadium Wembley and also St George's Park. We'll all go around and have a word on this, but Matt, your thoughts initially on it, mate? Yeah, it's uh, just the, the latest of a, a number of suggestions, isn't it, for, for how the rest of this season could play out. And yeah, the... The idea today is to, to play several matches uh, per day on the Wembley pitch and potentially using St George's Park as well, which, you know, it's uh, you know it just really underlines how desperate we are to, to get football back and to, to sort of get it back onto televisions and, and to make sure that we finish the season, which we understand that that will be the case. So, yeah, I mean, my initial thoughts, having having just read that story this morning, uh, you know, if, if that's possible to do, then let's do it. But... I think it's uh, it's a lot more difficult than than sort of maybe it first seems because you'd have to go through testing. You'd have to make sure that you know all the players are, are safe before we can do this, and then there's the medical facilities and that sort of thing as well. And, and that's before you even come to the broadcasters and that side of things as well. So certainly it's uh, it's a long way off being done, I think. But you know it's just the latest idea of of a number of different suggestions that we've heard over the last few weeks. Yeah, we had the the festival of football idea right at the beginning. I think that was a couple of weeks ago, although it probably feels a lot more like months to you guys. I don't know about you, but Joe, I suppose as well, though, it shows that no one really knows quite what's going on with this or able to predict too much of a, a timeline for when we might be able to get back to normality. Given in the report, it, it sort of suggests that if they're going to use St George's Park or Wembley Stadium and have multiple games over the course of a few days, that obviously the government's social distancing measures would have to be relaxed, which obviously we're not seeing come anytime soon yeah certainly I think look that like like matter we, we seem to see a lot of ideas now don't we you know you wake up every day to a different report of of potential ways that they could get the season finished I think the good thing is it it looks almost certainly like they're going to get the season finished one way or another but as you said I mean at first I think we just need to get out of lockdown that this virus they need to hit the peak of this virus and start you know, slowing things down, get out of lockdown and then see where we're at. I'm pretty sure there'll be a number of ideas on the table once that starts looking realistic. But I think for now, I think people just need to stay indoors and I'm not going to, people are probably sick of hearing it, but it's so important to say, is it stay indoors and, and, and let's, let's beat this thing. And, and then we can start putting those different plans into place. Um, I think Doyle, you did a story yesterday, then you're on in Spain. Mm. I think that, the, the deaths are slowing down now and that the reported cases are slowing down. So it seems that they've hit the peak. So I think the UK is expected to be a week, two weeks behind Spain. So hopefully that's sort of an indication of where we're at. And um, if people take this seriously. And as you said, the weather's great. So, you know, people just need to stay indoors and, and not do anything stupid. And we'll beat this thing and we can start getting back to normality. And, and then football will resume and, and hopefully finish. And whilst we're not medical experts, Doily, when you sort of look at that with Spain and everything, it's not a case of we hit the peak and we come straight back down the curve. The peak could obviously last a few weeks, dependent on how everyone behaves themselves and whatnot. Yeah, and then it could also come back, which is why the talk of let's just end this season and start next season in August as normal. There's no guarantee it's not going to come back again. In fact, the only guarantee is that it will. Uh, judging from what's happened in previous pandemics, you go back 50, 100 years, you can see the same patterns emerging. Um, in terms of the actual Premier League plan, I think, am I right in saying that 
the plan is that's kind of an option for them in the sense that they'd rather they would everybody played their games at their home stadiums as normal. I think I'm right in saying that. I mean, you've also got to bear in mind that by the time the season, you know, let's just say we, we talk mid-June or possibly even July, we might be out of lockdown, but by then there may have been other restrictions may have been lifted. There's, there's obviously already exceptions to the, uh, you know, the, the social distancing if you go into the shop to shop workers. That's why there's some of them are so upset the fact that they are they aren't allowed to be socially distant so there are exceptions it's whether or not the government you know six nine weeks down the line go right we're going to relax it for certain people certain events because we want to get a bit of normality back so the players go back into training before everybody else's you know the lockdown it it, it, it's, it's stopped so there are ways and means it's going to be done but ultimately i don't see any problem in them you know looking at all these different kind of options because when they get given the the green light or the given indication look you'd be able to start doing things by this point they all have to be ready so you know there's no sense of all these clubs just sitting around and the officials just sitting around doing nothing they'll be every single day they'll be thinking right we need to try and do this we need to do this on top of certainly with the clubs looking after as we've seen with liverpool um their individual players that the training programs looking out for them looking out for the you know the, the other members of staff who, who need to be catered for so there's a lot going on but it's just not the thing that we want which is actually action on the pitch and we're all adults and sort of aware of the situation given how the Premier League want football to come back and the role that the broadcasters will play in terms of the pressure. Do you think we're reaching a point now, Joe, where people will probably maybe reluctantly accept games being behind closed doors just for the sake of having games live on TV? Because over the weekend and everything, we've seen a, a rise in sort of old games being put on the TV. And whilst they're all well and good, you know what's going to happen. I think people probably... Do you feel getting to a stage of would accept behind closed doors games? I think we're already there. I think I think the majority of fans are sensible enough to know that they will accept whether it's the games are at Wembley, a few over the course of a day, an afternoon. You know, if it is like that, people will accept it. And I think they'll accept that it, it will most probably have to be behind closed doors um, because it's an exceptional situation that the likes of which we've never experienced before. So I think most people are sensible enough and and look, it, it's not ideal. And Liverpool centrally lifting a Premier League title in front of an empty stadium, well, it, it's not great. But I'm pretty sure the club, I've said it before, will have things planned that when life returns to normal and we can all get together in big groups again, I'm pretty sure that they'll fill up Anfield. They'll go. They'll they'll go down the dock road. We'll will there'll be a party like you, you've never seen before, and, and people will accept that they'll have to wait. Um, I think there'll be the odd person who'll try and get out and, and look. I think the police will have to police that. But I think the majority of fans are sensible enough to know that this season needs to be finished and they're willing to accept that that'll, that'll need to happen behind closed doors. And Matt, it's one of the venues that when we were talking probably since the turn of Christmas of where and when Liverpool could win the league, nobody said Wembley, did they? No, certainly St George's Park wasn't on my top list of, uh, of where Liverpool would end up winning the Premier League title. But uh, yeah, I think look, we're at the stage now where football fans are just desperate to see some action. And, and if there is a way of putting it back on, then I think that will you know, obviously be a huge boost to, to everyone who, who enjoys football. To be honest, I, th- I think the, the more difficult thing with that would be anybody else who, who doesn't like football and, and the potential backlash. Obviously, we've seen you know certain politicians and, and certain people trying to pile in on, on footballers at certain times during the last few weeks. And I can just sort of imagine a, a reaction where if 
footballers do come back before you know the, the rules are relaxed across the rest of the country, then perhaps that wouldn't sit too well with a few people. And you know, I think for for that reason, maybe you know, this isn't. It's not certainly going to be happening in the next few weeks. I think this is very much a, a last resort, and you know, it's certainly an option, but I don't think it's one without you know huge complications and problems that would have to be solved in advance of that happening. No, certainly not. Well, we'll keep an eye on that story, and you can, of course, over on the Liverpool Echo website. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Moving on to the anniversary date that this is, the 13th of April. Doyle, we've already had a pod go out this morning, the road to Istanbul, looking on the Juventus game, but this is a date, 5-0 over Forest, the 0-0 with Juventus, and the 3-2 over City in 2014 that sits fondly in Liverpool fans' memories because it's a date that has sort of conjured up, well, three there, historic and monumental games in the recent history of the Reds. Well, maybe not the 2014 game because we all know how that ended up that season. I think I think people enjoyed the game, but they'd rather forget how that all ended up. A bit different for the Juventus game and, the and of course, the Forest 5-0 game, which I was at, actually. Um, I was obviously only one year old at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, that was one of those funny. I was speaking to John Aldridge just before for the uh, our column in the Echo, and he, he basically said that it was, for the first 10, 15 minutes, Liverpool weren't great. And Forest at the time, you know, you say Nottingham Forest now to some to, to any new fans or recent fans, and they just think who's that team that plays in the championship and you know doesn't do particularly well or beats somebody in the FA Cup now and again. Forest then, Brian Clough was in charge. They were they finished second in the league. Liverpool had just played them in an FA Cup uh, semi-final. And Liverpool had actually it was the third time they played them in four games, and Liverpool only lost a couple of games in the league that season, and one of them was at Forest, who'd, who'd beaten them a couple of weeks before, two one. Uh, so it was a big deal, but you know, the, the way that they took them apart, you know, Tom Finney used to, you know, Preston legend, who many people may know uh, about him. He basically said it's the best he'd ever seen a team ever play. And for somebody like him, who'd seen quite a lot in his, his, his life and his career to come out and say that, so speaks volumes. Uh, John Aldridge also said that, you know, even had the Forest players afterwards coming up to him saying, you know, what on earth just happened then? I've never seen anything like this in my career. You were absolutely unbelievable, incredible performance. So... You, know, you look at the Liverpool team, you had John Barnes playing, Aldridge, Houghton, Beardsley, all of those kind of players who the team now and the team then, I think most fans who've seen them both would, would put them up as the two most attractive Liverpool teams to watch in the club's history. So, you know, basically it's the equivalent of Liverpool beating uh, Leicester 4-0, which is what they did this season. And that leads me nicely onto what I was going to ask Joe and, and say that that game, obviously 32 years on, and it took till sort of Boxing Day this year, Joe, where that Leicester 4-0 game was marked up against the 5-0 over Forest, which just speaks to the volumes of how significant that game was. Yeah, well, obviously I, I was um, zero when, when the... Um, <laughs> I was, I was uh, just threatening to come out when the, um, when the Nottingham Forest game happened. So, but I, I've seen, seen various replays on LFC TV and, and other channels, but... Yeah, the, the Leicester game was just, um, it was the most controlled I think I've ever seen Liverpool and, and the most ruthless, uh, especially away from home. So um, if it was anything like that, then it was very, very impressive. Um, yeah, the, the Leicester game was, you almost didn't realise until as you got into the sort of midway through the second half, how fantastic Liverpool had been that day. You know, they, they were taking chances. They were never in danger. They looked a threat going forward every single time. And to, to dominate a good team like Leicester 
in their own patch was just um, it was phenomenal. And, it, and it also, it's, it's worth remembering that that came it was Boxing Day, wasn't it? You know, Liverpool had had such a busy period. You know, they'd, they'd been away in Qatar, they'd been playing every couple of days, and to go and dominate a game like that was um, it was breathtaking, really. And I think if one game encapsulates this season for Liverpool and, and, and how good they've been, it, it's certainly that one. Yeah, and I think the eight o'clock kickoff probably helped Liverpool that night with all the time zones that they yeah, the players yeah, were probably yeah. in. That probably was the ideal time for them. But Joe, probably f- fairer to ask you more about the the Juventus game, the nil nil in Turin. Obviously, on the way to to winning the Champions League final, going to Juventus and not only keeping a clean sheet, but also then getting through to to the semi final. Yeah, I mean, I remember that one well because obviously Liverpool had loads of injury injury problems. Um, Steven Gerrard was missing. Alonso was just coming back. I think Bischamp played. Um, but, I, but I remember it being the first time we really saw, and we knew Benitez was very good tactically, but it was the first time we really saw him away from home in Europe um, send this team out to put in a performance that was just tactically just superb. I remember Liverpool played... They played Risa on the left of midfield and played Traore at left back. And Traore would just drop in and Risa would drop back into to the full back position. So Liverpool would have a five across the back. And Juventus just really struggled. They didn't really create that much many opportunities, Juventus. They really struggled. And the first half was pretty drab, but it was played just how Liverpool wanted it. And considering, you know, that, that it was it was going away to a side, it was a very hostile atmosphere. Juventus were they knocked Real Madrid out in the previous round. They were known as one of the best teams in Europe. They had Ibrahimovic in his prime, a number of top players. Capello, when he was still thought of as probably the best manager in Europe, it was um, it was a stunning performance, and it was one that showed that you know Liverpool hadn't sort of fluked the first leg. They they were they were could be contenders in the competition, and and then we would see Benitez do that time and time again over the next four or five years at Liverpool. So it was the first time I think I remember thinking. Benitez has got a bit about him and, and really knows how to set aside up. And perhaps one of your first real Reds memories, Matt, seeing them through into the... the no, I'm, not, I'm just trying to say, just into the... <laughs> into the semi-final of the Champions League. And yeah, a, a young Matt Addison, I'm sure, was absolutely buzzing at that fact. Well, he's got leather-bound books on <laughs> Uh, no, you, you're spot on. I mean, it was one of those typical Rafa Benitez sort of occasions. It was the moments that he thrived on, really. And obviously, Liverpool never won the Premier League under him. But the Champions League was sort of Liverpool's competition at that time. And, and sort of being the underdogs and having their backs up against the wall with, with injuries and, and even just with the standard of players that Liverpool had compared to Juventus. It, it is one of those moments that... When I think of Rafa Benitez's time at Liverpool, that's you know one of the the defining moments for me when I, I think back. And, and it was you know as Joe said, it was not something that was particularly rare in the Champions League. We saw Liverpool do you know those sorts of performances a number of times, but that was certainly one of the first ones. You know, well, you know, last manager here who really knows what he's doing. And Ron, I mean, sorry, Ian. Um, come, to, <laughs> come to your. Can I just ask what's going on in Joe's house? Is that where all the noise is coming from? Yeah, well, I've got a one-year-old running the room. The dog's next to me and dropped his ball next to my feet. Um, yeah, I, I am sorry, but this is part of lockdown, isn't it? I think I think it adds to the podcast. We get Samuel on; he'll probably make some better points than me. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Doyley, about the the city game because you said obviously when I mentioned it that. 
what then transpired and happened for Liverpool that season, not winning the league title, probably then does obviously affect the, the memory on that game because that game in isolation was such a huge game going into it, taking on Man City, the two sides going for the title, coming up against each other head-to-head and, and Liverpool flew out the traps as they had done a few weeks earlier, obviously against Arsenal at Anfield as well. Yeah, I mean, you've got to bear in mind, yeah, you're right. That was a game where it wasn't so much that Liverpool had to win. It's one where Man City couldn't really, we thought, couldn't afford to lose. And you know, City ended up losing. Liverpool were in a great position by that point. I think City still had a game in hand, which would have, you know, it kept them in it. But there was only about, I think there was only three or four games to go after that. Was it three? I think it was three, wasn't it? There was Nor- uh, four, sorry, it was four, because it was Norwich away, um, Chelsea at home, Palace away, and Newcastle at home, the last four. So they were right. You know, they were practically there and you're right, the fact that Liverpool started really well, was it 2-0, Sterling, and who's got the second one? Was it Skirtle? Skirtle from yeah, the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 2-0 and then half-time, City bring on James Milner who just completely destroys Liverpool for 20 minutes, sets up two goals and it's 2-all and then it was down to uh, Vincent Company's mm-hmm. miskick and then Coutinho getting his kick right and you're right, at the time you were thinking, well, this that's the one time where you're thinking they've got a really good chance here and what happened, obviously, in the end has kind of sullied that particular memory of that game. But you can't take away the actual performance to technically technically win the game twice, to win it in the first half and then win it again in the last 15 minutes because the way the way it went. And I think if Liverpool had gone on and won it from then, I don't think anybody could have argued because that would have been the re- result that they would have gone back to and said, look, there's our main rivals. We beat them 3-2. You know, we did what we had to do. Unfortunately, they just... Forgot to do it in the next couple of games. I'm going to apologise to all those listeners in advance who do get in touch about it, but I'm going to say Felipe Coutinho's name. And Matt, was no, this no? Was this the game though in which the Liverpool fans really did fall in love with Felipe, Felipe Coutinho, scoring that goal, really coming to the fore? Obviously, he'd already been at the club a couple of years and been a crucial player, but that really a standout moment for him. Yeah, I think that was maybe one of his first standout moments. I think he he did have a fantastic season that season. That was certainly his best season individually under Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool. And, you know, he he seemed to to find some form. But, yeah, just the the goal, the technique, the way that he he struck it. And I think the importance of it was something that stuck with Liverpool fans, obviously. Well, stuck with them to this day, it seems, judging by the amount of people who still want to read about him. But, yeah, certainly that season was... uh, yeah, it, it was a, a big moment in the season at the time. Obviously, we know what has happened since. And I think sometimes you can look back at it and, and sort of go, well, we know what came next. Whereas I think you probably should just look at it as, as the individual game. And, and that moment for Coutinho, for the whole team, was, was absolutely huge. And these games, Joe, I mean, going into lockdown, nobody enjoys it. And But reminiscing in the nostalgia, the, the time of year we're at, actually, is almost perfect because Liverpool, having gone so deep in competitions, in title races and the such, we've got so many of these games that just sort of come day after day. Yeah, they do. Tomorrow is the anniversary of Liverpool 4, Dortmund 3. So another one there. I mean, the Man City game, I think, I know it's easy to to, to remember what happened afterwards, but I look back at that when I was there that day and I, and I think, Doyle, I don't know whether you agree, but I thought it was the best atmosphere for a Premier League game Um that I can remember. The atmosphere was electric. It was very emotional that day. It was the 25th anniversary uh, of the Hills disaster. And, and I, I remember just going to Anfield that day to be in a feel about the place. And it, and it felt like Liverpool were going to win. They came out. It was just a brilliant, brilliant start from Liverpool. Then we got to see how good Man City were. And then Coutinho scored just, a, just an exceptional winner. And 
it was just a great game of football, a great game, great atmosphere, and um, a game that I remember really fondly. Um, I, I know, I know what happened afterwards. Sort of, you could say sullies it, but to me, it doesn't. You know, it was just a fantastic game, a great win, and we should remember it for what it was. And then, yeah, all the other ones. Um, you know, I think is it tomorrow the, the anniversary of the, the, the semi final against Everton? Uh, Andy Carroll scored. Andy Carroll scored the winner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, they're, they're all coming thick and fast, and that was another. That was another great, great occasion. I remember thinking Liverpool were, were dead and buried in that one, and, and Andy Carroll rose up and nodded one past um, Tim Howard to, to win the day for Liverpool. So they're just coming thick and fast, and look, I, I love reminiscing. They, you could do it all day. And You're that, old now, that's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally getting the uh, the chapter there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally trying to get in there first. And I suppose on, on Andy Carroll, £35 billion well spent. Now we'll move on to, to our final point of this episode. And talking of money spent, Jurgen Klopp's very first signing when he walked through the door, Marco Gruwich. He turns 24 today. And I mean, the reason we're bringing him up, Paul Gorse had written a piece about him over the course of the weekend, Doyle. And I suppose we're getting to a stage with Gruwich now, whether it's make or break for him, aren't we? Yeah, I think it's broken. I don't think he's ever going to play for Liverpool, to be honest. I know that might cut this section short a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> I think if I think if he was going to play, I mean, to be honest, right, I quite like him. I saw him make his debut. Pretty sure it was a competitive debut at Derby in the League Cup, or it could have even been Burton. One of those two games in in 2016, and I saw him play against Barcelona at Wembley in the friendly where Liverpool won four nil. So. You know, I quite like him. I've not seen a lot of him when he's been playing for Hertha Berlin. He, the thing about him is that he's got absolutely everything about him that you think he's a typical Klopp midfielder. He's tall, he's physically strong, he likes a tackle, he can pass and he can shoot. But for whatever reason, Klopp's just, even though he was his first signing, he's perhaps not developed in a way that he's trying to get into a team that are going to be Premier League champions, are the world champions and were European Cup winners last year. So there aren't many teams, if any teams in the world that are, more difficult to get into. So it's no slight on him to say that he might not play for Liverpool again because he's just, he's not quite at that level. And I think he probably, if he'd have been at the club this year, I think he would have played some games. But the fact that he was, you know, they didn't even consider bringing him back. I'm not even sure whether he could have done, to be honest. But, you know, you look at the Lama's going to leave the end of the season. They've given James Milner a new contract. They could have said, Right, you know, his time's up, he's 34, 35, and we can bring in Gruwich, but he's not. So, personally, I just think that Gruwich is not going to play for Liverpool again. He's one of the damning things there, then, Matt, the, the fact that Gruwich signed over four years ago now, and even Doyley saying there, he, obviously, he's made a handful and more appearances for Liverpool, but that we don't really quite know exactly what he is and what he'd bring to the team. Yeah, I think uh, we'd probably know already if he was in Jurgen Klopp's plans long term. I think we would have seen a bit more of him. And, you know, the age that he is for him to have been out on loan for all this time, it, it does sort of point towards the end being close. But I think, you know, for for Gruwich, I think it's it's probably best for his career that he goes somewhere else and plays. And I think, you know, Liverpool will get a good deal as well. I think they'll they'll make a fair bit of money on him. I can't remember exactly how much he signed for, but it was four or five million pounds, I think it was. So, you know, they're, they're going to make a fair bit of profit on him, you know, look, it, it's it's one of those signings where it would be a little bit harsh to say it's not worked out or it's not gone the way it's planned because, you know, it's, it's just one of those things Liverpool have come so far and developed as a team. That, you know, I don't think anyone could have really, um, you know, expected that. So, you know, when Bruch signed, maybe the victory that we expected 
go on, he would have been in those plans and in you know two or three years down the line, maybe he would have, you know, come into the team at that point. But I just think Liverpool have developed much faster than any of us could have expected. Probably him too. So it, it's just one of those things that you know the, the likelihood is uh, is that he'll move on at some point and you know best of it he ends up. And Samuel might want his say on this one as as well, Joe. But, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's absolutely fine. But just going to say that. <laughs> Just going to say on on Gruwich, we we seen today actually on the the LFC Twitter page as well. Michael Edwards, the man we hear so much about but never really see, and I suppose Gruwich now falls into the category where Edwards works his magic and hopefully gets Liverpool a nice bit of profit on him. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Uh, look, I, I agree with what both the lads have said. I think it's a case of Liverpool progressing. You know, he might have got into the Liverpool team of say three or four years ago. I mean, the, the Marco Gruwich now and. Um, I think he'd probably get into a top 10 Premier League team, but just not into Liverpool because only the, the best, best players get into Liverpool's team. And I'm pretty sure um, everything I've read about him, I've seen a couple of times at Hertha Berlin, but everything I've read about him, he's played well there. They like him. Um, you would expect Liverpool to, to bank, I don't know, 15 million for him at least. So it, it's it's Liverpool using every... Area of their recruitment seems their advantage, isn't it? They they buy they buy these players, they develop them, they make sure that they they don't just sort of go on the scrappy, do they? They develop them well and, and get a good profit. And if they make it, they make it. If they don't, then they move on and, and Liverpool get get some good money. So I think Brewer should go on to have a decent career, whether he stays in Germany. He looks like a Premier League player, like Doyle said. He's got the the, the physical attributes, um, seems good on the ball, seems to have a good decent shot on him. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see him again in the Premier League one day, but it's a shame for him. Um, but yeah, Liverpool have just moved on. And I think now, if you're going to improve that midfield, you can only buy the best players in the world. And I don't think Marco Gruic is quite in that elite level. He's probably just just below that, um, but, but good luck to him. No, certainly in a, a good way to round things off. Well, gentlemen, thanks a lot for, for joining us and enjoy the rest of your bank holiday. Thanks. Well, thanks to everyone who's also listened in. And for those of you who listen via podcast, just a, a quick note to make before we go that we're just two reviews short of a thousand of the uh, Blood Red podcast. So anybody who has left a review, thank you very much. And hopefully in those last two, we might just be able to find one positive one about Ian Doyle. But that's it from us here on the Blood Red oh, podcast. No. <laughs> positive about your headset. You're not, you're not <laughs> like that. No, because the podcast listeners can't see my headset. Set doily. Oh, don't don't try and get technical. Well, there we go. That's it for here. This episode of the Blood Red Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your bank holiday, and thanks and bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.